Bow with me in prayer. God, we are so thankful that we can come now to hear the preaching of your word. We have heard your word read. We have heard your word sung. We have prayed your word in this day, Father. And we are just now grateful that we can hear the teaching of it. Father, we ask that you would bless your word as it goes forth that you would accomplish your purposes with it in our hearts, in our lives, and that you would transform us by it more and more into the image of your Son. We know, Father, that we have a long way to go. We have not yet laid aside sin as we ought to have laid it aside. We know, O oh God, that we are called to put off the old self and to put on the new and too often, O oh God, we walk around with the old shell dominating and influencing the way that we live. We thank you, O oh God, that you are a forgiving God and merciful, that you are patient with us as we learn to love you and to learn more about you. And now we come humbly asking for your grace as we hear from the book of Jonah and ask for your word to have its way in our hearts and minds. We ask that you would bless it now for the glory of your name and for the sake of our Savior and for the fruit of the Spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the book of Jonah, if you'll turn there with me. Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. <clears throat> we'll read it in, uh, in a second here. But I think it's important for us to understand something as we look at Jonah's prayer here of repentance that I think sometimes is forgotten in, uh, in the Christian life. And it's, it's very basic, but it's worth remembering. And it's this, that when God saves a sinner, when God saves a sinner, he also changes them. We saw it last week in the sailors' response to the storm. You remember, as they feared the Lord and made sacrifices and vows to him, and we will see it in chapter 3 as the people of Nineveh believe in God, they will mourn their sin, they will turn to God and turn away from their former way of life. And the biblical word that is used to describe that change is the word repentance. Uh, repentance describes this, it, it's part of conversion when God converts someone, that it means they also repent of their sin. And, and that means they turn, they do a U-turn in their life in what they were following, what they were loving, how they were living, their hearts and their minds are turned and they repent toward God. So they repent away from their former life and they turn to now pursue God and his word and the truth of it. And repentance is foundational to the gospel. Without repentance, without repentance, there is no salvation without repentance of sin there is no salvation this is why in the scriptures repentance is so closely tied together with faith uh, in fact our lord said in mark chapter 1 verse 15 as mark begins his gospel how did christ begin it he said the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verse 21, 
that he was testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So like faith, which is a gift of God, according to Ephesians chapter 2, we're also told in 2 Timothy 2 verse 25 that faith, that repentance is also a gift of God. Repentance and faith are both fruits of the Spirit. And they're really the first marks of God's regenerating work in the life of a sinner. These are marks of one who has been born again. Now, while we know that faith and repentance are those marks of turning and being saved and turning to Christ, we also know that faith and repentance are not just one-time acts, correct? So when you come to faith in Christ, you die with faith in Christ, right? When you come to Christ in the repentance of your sin, you will be repenting of your sin until the day that God takes you home, will you not? They go together. Faith and repentance are part of the fruit of conversion, the fruit of the Spirit. It is a regenerating work of God in the life of a child that has them not only believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but also put to death the old life and put on the new life. And unfortunately, this part of the gospel message, I think, is, is often neglected. It's easy for us to talk about faith, but we shy away from talking about the repentance that accompanies faith. And I think maybe it's because repentance actually calls the sinner to let go of their disobedience. Repentance is that one point that you can actually see in the lives of a professing believer by a change in their life's desires, direction, or actions. And maybe the talk about repentance makes us uncomfortable because it can reveal a certain level of hypocrisy in our lives. A person can have intellectual assent to the biblical account, right? Maybe even no objections to the gospel. A person can enjoy the benefits of being among believers and perhaps even spend their entire life around believers. A person can know terminology. You can know doctrine and theology. Maybe you could rattle off a lot of Bible verses. Maybe you've memorized certain books of the Bible. Maybe you've memorized them in Hebrew. Maybe you've memorized them in Greek. And you can do all of these things and say that you believe. You, you can even know the commandments and you can know the teachings of the Bible. You can even be comfortable in the environment of church and talking about faith and hearing the gospel preached. But the fruit of regeneration as manifested in conversion, in repentance, may not be found. Does that make sense? So you can say you believe anything you want to say you believe. But if you're still clinging to your sin and you are refusing to repent of your sin, then God's word says that, that Christ, you have no fellowship with Christ. First John, right? If we say that we have fellowship with God, and yet we walk in sin. He says, God's word has no place in you. This is the truth of the gospel. And, and sometimes we're uncomfortable to talk about repentance of our sin, and we'd rather just talk about what we believe, because repentance really can be pictured in one's life. And I think... I think that's why in going through the book of Jonah, we've been going through chapter one and it's been really fast paced, right? Chapter one 
was fast-paced as we saw Jonah running from the Lord in disobedience, and God throws this storm of judgment at Jonah and the sailors in order to get their attention so that Jonah might realize his disobedience. And what happens in chapter 2 is it really starts to kind of, you could say, slow down. So if you've ever watched, uh, I like action movies. I watch with my kids these action movies, and, and there are certain scenes in movies where the action is really heightened and it's going fast, and then suddenly when they want to really catch the details of what's going on, the whole movie slows down, and you sort of see the, the punch or the dodge or the bullet in a real detailed fashion. And I think that's what's happening here as the book kind of slows down. And I think it slows down because God wants to draw our attention here to both the faith and the repentance of Jonah. So what he wants us to see in this prayer of Jonah is how God shows compassion and mercy, but he shows compassion and mercy not to all who say they believe in God, but he shows compassion and mercy to those who do believe in God and turn to him in faith and repentance. He wants to show us that God's kindness and forbearance and patience, as Romans 2, 4 says, is actually meant to lead you to repentance. And so Jonah needed to repent of his sin as a prophet of God just as much as the sailors and Nineveh needed to repent. Is that, you see what I'm saying? You see what he's saying? Jonah, as a child of God, when he had faith in God and repented of his sin the first time, as the sailors in Nineveh did, even as Jonah was walking with the Lord for an extended period of time as a prophet, even Jonah needed to continue to show and demonstrate his faith in God and repentance from sin. Foundational to the salvation that belongs to the Lord and foundational to the Christian life. And so here we find Jonah He's safe and he's conscious in the belly of this fish. And Jonah, in chapter 2, is praying to God. Now, in being in the belly of the fish and praying to God, Jonah, in that prayer, is recalling, he's rehearsing back in his mind in this prayer how God heard his prayer of repentance while in the depths of Sheol, and how God answered his repentant plea for mercy. So chapter 1 saw Jonah in disobedience, running from the presence of the Lord. And here in chapter 2, we see Jonah in repentance and faith, running in prayer to commune and fellowship with God once again. And so there are two components to this prayer that Jonah is offering to God as he's reflecting on his time in the depth. And the two parts are, first, Jonah is going to recount his past cry of distress. So you picture him, he's praying in the belly of the fish, and as he's praying, he's recounting in verses 1 to 4 his past cry of distress And we're going to look at that past cry of distress, and we're going to see two key components of repentance, and ultimately we're going to see his faith in God in the midst of that. And then we're going to see in verses 5 to 9, we're going to see Jonah's praise and thanksgiving to God for the deliverance from certain judgment that he faced. Because that's what repentance and faith does. It, it also results in praising God. And so we're going to see both those components of this prayer. He's going to look at his past cry of distress. 
And then he, we're going to see his present declaration of praise. Past cry of distress, repentance and faith, and then present declaration of praise. So here's how Jonah 2 reads. I'll, I'll actually start in verse 17 of chapter 1. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. This is now what he's praying from the belly of the fish, recalling what he did in the depths of the ocean. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the reading of God's word. So I ask you this series of questions here this morning for you to think about as we're going to look at this passage. And thinking about Jonah's situation here in his prayer, I'm going to ask you, what would your last thought be if you knew you were going to die in the next hour? and head into eternity. Let's say right now, you know you're going to leave these doors at noon, or maybe 12.15, sometimes I go over. So <laughs> you're going to leave these doors when this service is done, and you're going to die. What would your final thought be? For some people, I think, and I've talked to people that are on their deathbeds, for some people, they think about their family. For some people, they'll think about their children. For some people, it's sad, they think about all the things they're going to miss out on in life. Other people are so consumed with their finances and their legacy that they're leaving behind that they become consumed with those things, finances or legacy. Some people are so wrapped up in the good times that they had that they just think about all of that. Maybe, maybe, and some have thoughts of dread that fill their mind because they're wondering what awaits them. Or maybe you'll think, and this is probably what most people without Christ, all people without Christ think, have I been good enough? If there is a God and I'm about to meet him, have I done enough good to enter into the kingdom of heaven? The way in which you answer that question of what you will think at that final moment of your life, I think it says a lot about the condition of your soul 
and to whom you belong. You see, it had been a downward spiral for Jonah from the moment of his rebellion and disobedience, and we saw this last week. Jonah had reached the lowest point of his life, and he was helpless. The consequence of his sin and rebellion brought him to the threshold of eternity, and he was in the depths of the ocean, and he was going to drown, and he was going to die, and he was going to come before his maker. And so what was Jonah thinking at that final moment? This is what these verses tell us in verses 2 to 4. And I think as Jonah sits safely in the belly of the fish and he prays to God in verse 1, remember he's recalling his prayer to God. In this prayer, the first thing you can see about what is on Jonah's mind is what a helpless state he is in. So he remembers how helpless and hopeless and overcome by darkness and entangled in sin he is. And so he says, as he's reflecting on that prayer, how I called out to the Lord out of my distress, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. And so in his final moments, he recognizes he's helpless and he's needy. He recognizes that he's not strong enough to deliver himself. And so this is what you might say is the first step in repentance and faith. This is a component of repentance and faith in God, is that you recognize you are helpless and completely dependent on God for everything. And this flows out of what we talked about last week, the judgment of God. It's, it's a matter of seeing your condition clearly. Faith and repentance is a matter of seeing the current state that you're in, and it's a matter of seeing that you are helpless without God and you are dependent on him for everything. You, you must see this clearly. This is why God, our Lord Jesus Christ, when he's preaching the gospel in, in, in the gospels, specifically in Matthew, when he talks to the Pharisees, one of the ways he describes them over and over and over again is how blind they were. They could not see their neediness of God. They were blind to the fact that they were sinners. They were blind to the fact that they were unrighteous. They were blind to the fact that they were living under God's condemnation, and Jesus clearly points it out to them. He even calls them blind guides that lead the blind. And this is why the promise of the gospel that is to come in Isaiah 42 says that he will come and give sight to the blind. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers so that they might see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so Jonah is dying and Jonah sees, I am in need of God. The second thing you see from Jonah's prayer, and this is crucial is Jonah acknowledges his guilt before God, and he acknowledges that God is right to judge him and his sin. So he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, out of the belly of Sheol I cried. And then he says, verse 3, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Jonah knew that the sailors may have cast him into the sea, 
But Jonah understood that it was God who ultimately placed him there because of the judgment of his sin. The judgment of his sin. He was receiving the judgment of God upon him for his sin, and Jonah doesn't make any excuses. He doesn't rationalize his sin. He doesn't make a defense for it. He doesn't blame someone else for his sin. He doesn't say, this sin of mine is the fault of the Israelites. He doesn't say, this sin of disobedience is the fault of Satan. He doesn't start pointing the finger at other people because of his disobedience of sin and say, God, I don't deserve to be judged because I'm not guilty. This happened to me. He says, no, I am in this condition and I am drowning and facing God's judgment because I am guilty of sinning against God Almighty. This is what he says. Jonah is about to die and he knows that the wages of sin is death. He knows he has no power to deliver himself and he knows that he is guilty before God. Jonah set out to flee from the presence of the Lord, and the Lord gave Jonah a taste of what that looks like. And Jonah says, I am driven away from your sight. You see, beloved, that's what sin does. Sin separates you from fellowship with God. The Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, when they chose to sin against God, they chose to disassociate from fellowship with God, and they were driven away from his presence. Before they sinned, the scripture says, God walked with them in the cool of the day in the garden, doesn't he? He walked with them. They fellowshiped with him. But when they chose to sin against God, when God came to fellowship with them, he said, where are you? Why are you hiding from me? And they said, we hid from you because we were ashamed. And they hid from God. And that fellowship was broken. And that fellowship was broken. And so repentance and faith in God is not only a recognition of your helplessness, it's also a recognition of your guilt before God and a recognition that you are away from the presence of the Lord. Now, you may be thinking, I don't want to be thinking like that when I'm about to die. But you see, it's those thoughts that ultimately did not consume Jonah. Rather, they served to cause him to do something very significant, which is to ultimately turn his eyes to the Savior. You see, repentance and faith are a recognizing of your sin and your guilt and a turning from it to turn to the Savior who can deliver you from your sin and guilt. This is the gospel message. This is why when the Lord Jesus Christ came to be our Savior and he came to pay the price for our sin, one of the things that sin did, and this is so important because repentance, it's not just about feeling bad for what I did and to stop doing those things. Ultimately, faith and repentance is also, I would say, is primarily about restoring you to the fellowship of our God that was broken by our sin. And so when Jesus paid the price of our sin, and we're going to come to the Lord's table later, do you remember when he's hanging on the cross and he's being crucified? And one of the things he says on the cross before he says it is finished 
is he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know why Christ is saying that? Christ is saying that because he is bearing Jonah's sin and he's bearing my sin and he's bearing your sin on the cross and the fact that we were separated and broken from fellowship from God, our Lord Jesus Christ is bearing the weight of God's judgment and wrath. And for that moment, that perfect relationship that he shared with the Father in heaven was broken because of our sin. And it was broken so that we then, as we turn to Christ in faith and repentance, we turn to one who is able to restore us back to fellowship with God and to make us right before God. That is the good news of the gospel. And so Jonah is that picture of now repenting, recognizing his guilt, and turning to the only God in faith that can save him. This is the heart of faith and repentance that marks the children of God. They go together. When we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as David says, we will fear no evil for God is with us. And we believe that he will deliver us from the guilt and the condemnation of our sin. This is Jonah's final thought. This is Jonah in the depths of the sea, about to drown before God swoops him up and shows him mercy by this great fish. Jonah knows he's helpless. He knows he's guilty. He knows God is right to judge him. And then he turns to God for mercy. He looks to God for salvation. And so he says there, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your temple. He cries out to the Lord because he belongs to the Lord. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. And you know why he says, when I cried, my prayer came in to your, I shall look to your holy temple. He looks to the temple, and his prayer, he says, comes up into the temple, because in Judaism, the temple in the Old Testament was what? It was where you communed with God. It was where you had fellowship with God. It's where God came down to be with his people and commune with them. And so Jonah is realizing that as he repents and he reaches out to God and looks to the temple, that it is in the temple that he will commune with God and where God will give ear to his prayer. You needed priests and sacrifices to make that a possibility in the Old Testament but in the New Testament, who has torn down the curtain? Christ has torn down the curtain. And who has made the once-for-all sacrifice? Christ has made the once-for-all sacrifice. And who has opened our access into the temple for all eternity? Christ has given us access. And so this is the final thought, beloved. And I pray that as each of us think about the way in which we are going to die, and I hope you think about death. I hope you do. Think about it. Don't push it off. Don't pretend that you're not going to die. Think about it. We will all die and give an account to God. And the prayer, beloved, is that we will die in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in repentance of our sin. And that at that final moment, our eyes will not be upon the things of this world. You know, as that hymn says, May the things of this world grow strangely dim. And may I behold the Lord Jesus Christ and see him. As Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so here Jonah, he reflects on that repentance and on God's and on faith in God. 
and on the fact now that God redeemed him. And so you see this second part as he's praying here and he's reflected on the past. Now he's going to reflect on the present because faith and repentance unto God is not just about being delivered from our sin and redeemed. It also has a present impact on the way that we live now. And it did so for Jonah. And so you'll see here, Jonah, once again, he reflects on his lost condition, but he also reflects and praises God for saving him. This is the response of repentance and faith. It, it praises God for that redemption. And so he says in verse 5, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. You can picture him in the bottom of the ocean. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And then Jonah says, he praises him, and we'll look at just real quickly four things. Jonah now praises God for rescuing him from the pit. He says, yet... You brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah sees that in spite of his rebellion and sin, he knows that God showed him mercy by delivering him from judgment. God was faithful to his promises. God was a covenant-keeping God, and God was worthy of praise. And so, beloved, as we come to Christ and he saves us, understand what Christ has saved you from. Christ has saved you from the pit of hell and judgment. Is he worthy of praise for that? Yeah. Second thing Jonah says is he praises God for restoring him to fellowship. Notice what he says. He says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. This is what we talked about this a little earlier. That temple is where he would fellowship with God, and God would welcome him into his presence through the priesthood. And Jonah is saying, I was fainting away, I was dying, and yet I praise you because I remembered you, the Lord my God, and you heard my prayer in your holy temple. Remember, beloved, that in Christ, Christ says to come boldly before the throne of grace, right? Come to Christ, come before God, confess your sin, and pray to him through Christ, and your prayer will be heard as the Holy Spirit intercedes for you. This is why David says in Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And third, Jonah praises God for restoring his hope in God's steadfast love. You notice he says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And so Jonah is reflecting and praising God because he realizes that God still loves him. He is not going to turn to the idols of this world. He is not going to turn to the things of this world that will draw him away from his God and forsake God's steadfast love. But he turns in repentance and faith and he praises God that God has confirmed his love for Jonah. Greater love knows no man than this, that someone would die for their friend. I'm paraphrasing here. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. 
There is no greater act of love in all the world than what Christ did to bear our sins on that cross. And when we come to faith in him, that love of God is shown to us in such a way that it is steadfast and unmovable and unshaken. Even when we fail to be faithful to God and to love him, God's love for those for whom Christ died will never waver. Does that bring you hope? should bring you praise to God, right? It should lift up your hearts like Jonah. Praise God for his steadfast love. And finally, with that, Jonah concludes by praising God. Notice, in thanksgiving and, and this is important, in service. You see, Jonah was disobedient and didn't want to serve God in the way that God wanted him to serve. Jonah's sin and his rebellion was all because God told him something in his word and he refused to obey. And here, Jonah concludes by praising God in thanksgiving for the salvation he received and then turning to do what? To obey and to serve God now. You see, this applies with all of God's command. This is what repentance and faith is. If I am living in a sin and committing it, and I've repented of that sin, I repent of it, meaning I turn away from that idol and from that, from that sin that I am engaging in, and I turn away for it, from it because I, that is what I've been serving and living for, and repenting and putting your faith in Christ is turning away from that and then following Christ and now doing what you weren't doing when you were doing that sin. It's serving him. It's replacing our sinful tendencies and heart and desire with a desire to serve and to honor Christ with our very lives. Living sacrifices, as Paul says in Romans 12. And so Jonah here, when all is said and done, he reflects on the mercy of God toward him as a sinner. He reflects on how God heard his prayer of repentance, how God rescued him from judgment, how God restored him to fellowship, how God confirmed his steadfast love for Jonah. And Jonah says in verse 9 that unlike those who look to the idols of the world and serve them, I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I will pay. And so Jonah is now restored by God to where he could be used by God as his servant. No longer desiring to live in disobedience, Jonah's repentance and faith meant turning from serving himself to turning to serving the living God. That's why Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him do what? Let him deny himself and take up his cross and what? Follow me. This is faith. This is repentance. This is what salvation looks like, the salvation that belongs to the Lord. And so verse 10 says that God spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. What dry land? We'll see next week. Because he washes up on the shores of Nineveh to do what God called him to do. And that is to preach the gospel that God called him to preach. And so Jonah needed to learn about the grace, mercy, and compassion of God. He needed to learn about the love of God if he was to minister to the Ninevites. And now he's ready now he's ready. And my prayer, beloved, for you and for me, and we'll close with this. And for you who are young, I want to actually want to give a special word to you. 
13, 14, 15, 16, even early 20s. If you have come to faith in Christ, you don't want to go through life where you have to go through an experience like Jonah in order to obey. Just understand that you are placed in a place in your life, even as a young man or woman, where you are not worthy to be in God's presence. But you also need to know that you have a whole life ahead of you to rest in his presence and to rejoice in him. And the more you go down that path of sin, the more difficult it becomes in life to return to God. He's always there. He'll always accept you. But it may be a very painful coming back as it was for Jonah. And so don't spend your time disobeying and filling out your flesh in life in order to get all you can, because the more you go down that path, the more difficult and painful that restoration in Christ can be. And so spare yourself, spare yourself the pain and obey him now. And for us who have lived that life we're reminded here that Jonah was stubborn, Jonah was disobedient, Jonah was at the gates of Sheol, and yet God showed him mercy. And he has shown us mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what makes coming to the Lord's table so special. This is why when we come to the Lord's table, that we come as those who have placed our faith and our hope in Christ alone. His body was broken for our sin and his blood was shed that we might have our sin atoned for. And so if you're here this morning and you have not placed your faith and your hope in Christ and you have not repented of your sin, and you are still holding on to the sin and desires of this world, I don't mean you need to be perfect because there is no one perfect but Christ. But if you know that there is some kind of flagrant sin in your life that you just keep doing and you haven't let it go and you refuse to let it go and you are holding on to it and I don't know what that sin is but if you know and only God knows you come before him in prayer and you confess it but if you know you are not repenting of your sin against God. And you haven't turned to him as your savior. Don't partake of this. Now, if you're a believer and you've come to Christ as your savior and you are struggling with sin, this is why we come to the table. You confess your sin and you repent of it. You tell God what you've done. He already knows. And you repent of that sin with your whole heart. You, as Joel says, rend your hearts before God. And when you confess in repentance and faith, Christ says, this is why I came. And so it's for you. If you've believed on Christ, whatever your life is, you confess your sin and you know that Christ died to cover that sin, but you leave it behind. If you're an unbeliever, again, don't drink judgment on yourself. And so... Rory, if you'll come up. I want to pray for the elements. And one by one, the rose, you'll come up and receive. But take the time just to be quiet, to confess your sin, to repent, to place your faith in Christ. And then, beloved, I know it doesn't feel like it right now, but rejoice Rejoice. Rejoice because Christ has done it all.
Let me pray. Our God, we come before you now as we come to your table. We know that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, invited his disciples to one last supper to have with him before he would go to the cross to bear the wrath of God in their place and to finish the work of redemption that he came to finish. We know, Lord Jesus, that you brought them there so that you might give them and us a reminder of the infinite price that was paid for our restoration and fellowship with you. We know, O oh Lord Jesus, when you broke your body on our behalf and you shed your blood for the atonement of our sins, that it meant that the fellowship that you had had with the Father was for a time, a short time, broken because of our sin. And so you cried out at your crucifixion, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you were forsaken for us. You became the substitute for our sin and you bore our sin in our place so that we might receive the righteousness of God from you. We know, O oh Lord Jesus, that we have no goodness in and of ourselves. We are not righteous. We are not worthy. We are not a people that have earned your love and mercy. But like Jonah, O oh God, we know that we were in the depths of the sea and that we were guilty of our sin and we were at the, at the doorstep of eternity and in grace and mercy you saved us when we cried out to you, Lord Jesus. And you have saved us for all eternity. And you have made us new creatures in Christ. And for that, we give you the praise and the thanksgiving that you deserve. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for doing what we could not do on our own. And so now as we come to your table, we pray that you'd help us to remember rightly your broken body and your shed blood. May we take it with repentant hearts and hearts of faith. May we take it with humility and thanksgiving. May we take it, Father, as a way also to commit ourselves to saying that we desire to serve you. We don't just want to take from you, but we want to take what you have given by grace humbly receive it and then return to you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and service. Help us to do this now as we pray in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.